0: Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, Wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their well-being and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships, and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the podcast. I'm your host, Meg Durham, and today I'm going to be talking with Diana Taylor, Vice President of the Geelong Football Club, about her new book, The Playbook, Crossing the White Line to Succeed in Life, Business and the AFL. Now, you might be wondering, how does the AFL relate to teacher well-being? Well, it turns out that they have a lot more in common than you think. Diana is a leader, lawyer, business owner, company director and consultant that is passionate about Australian rules football and has close to 25 years of experience in football administration. Diana became the first female president of a man's AFL Metropolitan Football League Western Region Football League and was the first woman appointed to the AFL Tribunal and in 2010, Diana became a director of the Geelong Football Club and in December 2019 was appointed as a club's vice president, the first woman to hold the role in the club's 163-year history. In this conversation, we discuss why we need to define success on our own terms, how to maintain a sense of self while working in a complex system, the importance of doing the hard yards and patience, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Diana Taylor. Diana, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Meg, it's great to see you and thank you for having me today. Today, we're going to be talking about your book, The Playbook, Crossing the White Line to Succeed in Life, Business and the AFL. Why did you decide to write this book? I thought lol and
1: hard, Meg, about about the book, about the playbook and what would be in its pages and whether this was something that I should do. And after mulling this around and, you know, we had the discussion, this book had been in my head for five years, what I determined was that after 20 odd years of my experience that there was value in those words I've written it because I really want people to succeed and I know that there are places that people are heading that aren't well mapped or aren't mapped at all and when we leave school or re-enter school and an educational institution as a professional while there's an organizational structure that may exist. There's actually no mapping that sits around the relationship, that sits around how you determine what's most important to you and where you guide your time, how you want to live and what your legacy and could look like for you. So these were the things based upon my experience that I wanted to capture in this book to get people to think, but also to have people plan. And possibly plan in a way that they've never planned before, and I
0: know we'll get into the detail of that, Meg. But that's why I wrote the playbook, and that is what you've done to really create a resource that people can come back to, time and a time again. The content is thorough and meaningful, but it's also a beautiful book to hold in your hands. Thank you, Meg.
1: And it's it's all done locally, so I have self-published. I. As per the playbook, I just didn't have time to hang around uh, to get to, to get a publisher on board for this. I needed to get it done. I needed to have control over this. And I also needed to have control over my copyright because this this is my own story as well. So that was really important. So it is locally produced. It was printed in Melbourne, all locally sourced material. And thank you for that feedback. This is a beautiful book. It's an easy read. It's a very easy read in terms of the way things are framed. And I summarize each chapter with about playbook points that I want people to think about because our minds are so occupied with so many things. And I know people's time is precious. And I really wanted to respect that in the way that I put the book together. But I do know, and particularly teachers and my My dad's a former school principal, 35 years experience in the education system. My grandma was a teacher. I loved when I was growing up and still do the physicality of the book in my hand and being able to go back and make notes and make notations and have it as a reference point. So that was the value I saw in in producing something
0: that was going to be really beautiful for people to hold and read. So, as we're thinking about success, why is it important? for us to determine success on our own terms. Because as human beings, we
1: all have our own unique value to ourselves, to our family. We are all important and we all deserve to be recognised and supported for who we are. And there is so much noise that sits around our world And I don't think there's anything new in this. I don't think this is technology-based. I think it's how it's always been. Where it's so easy to compare, you know, there's a bell curve in a school, there's a grading system, how much money am I making versus somebody else? There's so many external factors that if you're not careful, those are the things that end up defining your self worth and end up being that voice inside you that directs your activity. So success needs to be defined by the individual. Everyone's success is going to look very different. And once the core is determined and framed up and you've got an understanding of the elements that certainly my view is that success can encompass, And it's not just about monetary and it's not just about position and title. My goodness, does that create a rich life and a richness of experience and gives you a great platform to build on. So, you know, I don't do anything by halves, Meg, as you know, and I think deeply about these issues. And I think the multidimensional aspects of success is something that we should all be thinking about and investing in for ourselves.
0: And so, when you look at your career, how has your definition of success changed over the time? I'll use this analogy. So, I
1: I'm a lawyer by trade, and I, I went through after secondary school. I went through law school, and I I was I I did well. I, I ended up getting my articles and starting my career in one of the best law firms in Melbourne. And my wardrobe consisted of. Dark suit, very corporate, dark suits now twenty five years on, and I realize I'm wearing a suit today, it is a Geelong Cats game, and I'm heading to the game tonight, so I've got my blue and white on for you today, Meg but now my wardrobe consists of a lot of pink, a lot of blues because that's one of my colors, and it now my wardrobe consists of my personality, and it is only defined. By what I feel like doing on that particular day so who I am physically presented on a daily basis now is exactly as I've designed not the box that I felt that I needed to put myself into to succeed at that earlier point there's been moments of enlightenment Meg over that journey and anchor points and key events occurring that have led me to this point now of freedom in how I view myself, how I construct my life
0: and what my own version of success looks like. It's so powerful to reflect on that journey. And I'm sure listeners can really resonate with that, that when you go into a profession, you feel like there's a way that you should be, how you should dress. I remember the night before my first class and putting out my outfit, thinking, I look like a teacher. This is a teacher to fit? like this is what you've got to wear and then over time starting to think about what works for me is this me or am I trying to play a character and you work within a really intense system working in the AFL there is a very intense complex nature it's a bit of a beast the AFL high visibility there's a lot of eyes there's a lot of people looking at you and to find yourself within the system what a gift.
1: Sure is. And it is just so critically important. And, you know, it's one of the things I anchor the playbook with in that you need to find yourself. You need to be able to articulate what your values are and live to those. You need to know who you are because at every point, whether you're In the AFL system, as I am as vice president of the Geelong Football Club, or whether you are in a school, whether you're in a classroom or a leadership position, every day you are tested and every day you need to make decisions and you need to make the right decisions in the right way. And if you haven't got yourself sorted out first, there is a question mark as to whether you're actually making the right decisions for the right reasons and the more time that goes on, Without those anchoring points being set for you, the potential negativity and potential risk to yourself, I think, and your career, the people that you're impacting, if you haven't actually got that right. Because, Meg, I see it, I see it in all the worlds that I work across people making decisions based on sometimes where the wind's blowing, the opinions of a majority in a group even though it's not the right thing to be doing, is this going to impact my career? And therefore, should I actually stay silent and not make a decision versus step forward? These things are usually subtle though. They creep up on you. They creep up on you over time. So I just think that 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 anchoring point of self and getting to that actually means that the flow, the surety of your life, the peace in your heart When you get to, when you close the door at the end of the day, it's been a big day, but my goodness, have you kicked some goals and you've made the right decisions for the right reason? That's
0: a good night's sleep. Yes, that feeling of I have done my best and I've been congruent. What I've been thinking and what I've been feeling, that's what I've been presenting to others because that feeling of going to bed at night, knowing that you didn't say that thing. In that meeting, gosh, that can just eat you up. It, it sure can.
1: And consistency is also the other really important element. You need to know what you're going to give and what you're going to deliver, but people need to know what they're going to get from you. You know, how are you going to react and respond in a particular type of scenario? Are you going to be different under pressure than when there's no pressure on? And we lead, no matter what position, no matter what title we have in a school or in any other place everyone leads over the course of the day and in the course of their roles. And it's that consistency, people understanding what they're going to get from you also lends itself to tremendous value, lends itself to those trust relationships. You're the person that people come to at the end of the day when they need to resolve an issue. And there's real power and actually building the community, building that that community around you when you're the person sitting in that seat
0: and able to deliver consistently in that way. So when it comes to community and building a community almost of cheerleaders, how important have mentors been to you on your journey? Look, just so important. And with the mentors
1: that I have had, what I do is I try to ensuring that There's a reciprocation with the relationship with the mentor, Meg. You know, it's not all about me in these conversations. It shouldn't be. That builds the relationship with the person on the other side of the table over the course of time. I choose people who I respect and admire and who've got a great value set. I come prepared. I know what questions I'm going to ask. This is not a time-wasting exercise. You know, we're able to get stuck in because we both know what we're there for. I try and give of myself and my time also in those conversations and beyond those conversations. And I'm also being very raw. You know, when I'm engaging with my mentors, I'm being very raw and very honest and I'm a little exposed. And I do that by asking the questions that I ask that go to really deep places. And these are not surface peripheral conversations. You know, you're really, really getting into the guts of it. So I would, like you, I would... Highly recommend that that mental figure or figures is something that people
0: really tap into and try and find for themselves. And I'm thinking about your journey and working within the AFL. What was the journey like being a woman making your way in this system? When I started,
1: Meg, it was nearly 25 years ago, and I started in community football at the Western Region Football League, and there were very, very few women in that arena doing what I was doing at league level and at AFL Victoria level. So I was always usually one out. I looked very different. I was of a different gender. I spoke differently. I had very different experience to the other people sitting around the table. And what I saw was not a deliberate exclusion, but just an uncertainty from the people around me about how they were going to engage with me and how they were going to find common ground. So it was easier not to engage with me. It was easy to engage with the man who they'd known for 20 years in footy who was standing beside them. So I had to work really hard at the relationships, like so much work put into building relationships with the people who I needed to engage with who were predominantly men at that point. So that's one factor. I'd also, you know, as a woman in footy in those periods, been unfortunately engaged in what we sometimes find in the workplace in terms of the sexual harassment, lack of respect component, and gender being weaponized for power purposes. That's what I've realized over time, Mick, that where you do find yourself in a space where Gender is the thing that's being targeted and you just happen to be the person in front of whoever's going to be delivering it and probably you're in their way at that point to something they want to get to. Your gender, my gender has been used to highlight points of difference, allege points of weakness, questioning motive. You know, why as a young woman would I want to be in football? You know, did I want to find a husband? Was I searching for a partner? It was none of those things, but assumptions are made really, really quickly. So coming out of this, what I knew was one, and getting back to my anchor point, I knew exactly who I was. I knew what my values were, and I knew why I was there for the right reasons. So to use the footy parlance, that gave me great balance on both sides of my body. So when it was my turn to pick the ball up, I could do that with surety, and I was always on my feet. And I also knew where I wanted to get to. And this is the point around understanding your objective, understanding the vision or the purpose for why you're in a particular place and what you want to achieve. Because then it's just a planning and a process and a mapping exercise from that particular point. And and the other component that I, I used to test myself with respect to this, because if you're being challenged for no other reason other than you happen to be different, my goodness, does that give you some steel? That gives you some steel. It gives you, I refer to in the playbook, a controlled aggression mindset, uh, which is exactly what I had. And that, that was my own pregame speech, Meg,
0: at times uh, when I was stepping into some of these environments. Yes, I can only imagine that little pep talk you gave yourself as you're walking into a particular board meeting around a heated discussion and thought, no, I'm connecting with my why. I'm balanced. I'm strong. I've got a plan. Let's make this happen. I think it's helpful when you know
1: that it's not actually about you going back to your community point. It's actually about the community around you and the, the people that you are supposed to be serving in the role that everybody is in. So when that why is about community and it's about aspects other than yourself, it is incredibly powerful.
0: There's a chapter in your book that I just love and it's the art of patience because it really is an art. And it's so difficult. Can you help us explore that? If I think about
1: professional setting and, and you know, people in education, your teachers and educators and leaders um, in the education sector, you know, within a school, things are quite hierarchical. There's an organisation structure. There's a level that you're at, depending on how many years out you are. There's application processes. There's leadership positions that are attained, et cetera. And it, it can be, and I've known, I, I know this through my own early days in the legal uh, profession and in business. You know, sometimes you just want to get somewhere fast, or you're seeing someone in a role and you think, "I could actually be doing a much better role with them, but a much better job than them, but I just don't have the opportunity at this point. There's, there's a want for us as human beings to get to places quickly and to be recognized, whether that's monetary or whether that's ego or whether that's in a leadership sense, we want to get to places quick. And there's two components that I realized are so critically important for success. And that is that the art of patience is going to be one of your most powerful leverage points and powerful skills that you can possibly possess. Sometimes you just have to sit a while in the situation that you're in, assessing what you've got, building your skills and capability, creating value in yourself, and that does take time. You know, you and I were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, in business and life with what you do, sometimes it's an 8 to 10 to a 15-year build before you get to a place where you've got momentum, where things are flowing, where people know you, where that value is recognized. And that is okay. you know. And I think that there is peace that comes with knowing that the foundation that you are building for yourself is one of bedrock rather than sand. So that's really important. And the other element that I've learned um, For myself, and I'd encourage your listeners to think about is this concept of hard yards and just enjoy the hard yards. And that is an everyday build. That is an everyday occurrence. Because there is grind in every job in life. The good stuff takes time to build, to get to, to be recognized, to achieve. Enjoy those yards. Enjoy the fact that I'm going to have to grind myself through the next hour but that's going to get me to this place at the end of this day, at the end of this week, at the end of this month. That concept I have learnt to embrace. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, I want to be on an AFL club board. And I clicked my fingers and it happened. And me, that's often a conversation that I have with a number of people who say to me, I want to do what you do, Diana. And three or four months down the track, when I've given them a plan and advised them as to what they need to do, They're no longer around because it's hard and they haven't got there in four months. So with me, I knew that I needed to build myself. Didn't know it was the AFL at that point, but I was on a pathway. So I built myself over a 10-year period in community forty at AFL Victoria, Victorian Football League level to create my value and my worth that then gave me a shot at being looked at at the AFL level and the Geelong Cats. That's how long it took. There was nothing overnight about it, but I look back now and I just think I did it the right way, you know, because I needed to ensure that I had value
0: once I got to the seat and I could serve as I needed to. Thinking about the hard yards as meaningful time to build up our skill set, but also to build up that solid confidence in self. So when we are in a position of making big decisions, we can tap into self and not get stuck in what we talked about earlier, looking to what everybody else thinks and just going with the majority. We have a real solid sense of self so we can lead in more authentic and meaningful ways. Absolutely. And that's also where your gut talk.
1: And I just think it's so important. Everyone has a gut that talks to them. You've got to listen to that. I have heard in my life, and look, I talk about the fact that there's no such thing as failure. They're all learning opportunities. And I truly believe that I've taken decisions that haven't been right at the time because I haven't listened to my gut. I've convinced myself that this position would be good because of it. I will get exposure to somebody if I head into this particular space. I've never taken anything just for the money, but I have made wrong decisions in terms of where I decided to step myself So I haven't listened to my gut, but the other element of self, I think, in making good decisions around it is you need to be unemotional at the time you're making the decisions. It's a dead calm approach to where you need to step yourself forward with, and I think that the first response can often be reactive. It can be a reactive one because we're in the heat of the emotion, and you know, just think about the way in which you know your profession teachers deal with a um, schoolyard scenario, the first thing a teacher will try and do is de-heighten and calm the students who they're having to deal with so they can get people to a place where they can communicate with each other and you can find a pathway forward. Often we don't give ourselves that time. You know, we're still in that washing machine of emotion. Our gut's trying to communicate with us, but we haven't given ourselves that quiet place to actually sit and reflect and that's where the art of patience kicks back in as well and sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing and just sit with it a while that can be very powerful and it's also a
0: skill to be able to pause and not react. I think of all the educators that I work with, and that is one of the most transformative experiences that I see in them, is once they they go from this space of putting out spot fires, reacting, 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 to pausing, allowing, delaying, and then making that choice. For sure, it is. It
1: allows you to get to the right space. and, And if we Align that thinking, which is absolutely right, with what I often see in organizations, businesses, schools, councils, whatever it looks like. It's people not giving themselves the quiet moments to think, which means that they're not thinking strategically, midterm, long term, in terms of themselves and the organizations that they're working within. You need some distance, you need some quiet to be able to allow your mind. And to be able to engage in conversations that are going to be of value, you need to be able to find those spaces. And frequently, what I see is, I've got to remind myself about this. Days get really busy, but if you're only dedicating between two and 5% to these conversations that we're thinking about, whether it's decision making or that more long term view, you're never going to get there. You're going to be constantly reacting in the noise of the day. Another school year is going to have gone past. In a little while, another five will have gone past. And you'll be sitting looking in the rear vision mirror thinking, how did all that happen and what was actually achieved? So those quiet moments, the space, the art of patience, they are powerful. They allow you to take your own power back. They allow you to take back control of the circumstances that you are needing to manage or get ahead of. And they allow you to design a life and a school and the people in the community that sits within it that is the very best it can be. So I I would just encourage people to think about how much time they're actually giving themselves in a day and a week for that kind of reflection. And it sounds like you are doing that regularly with your engagement and your coaching, Megan, just so critically important. And it's, It is feed the soul
0: stuff at the end of the day as well. Yes, and it helps us navigate some really tricky times because we can give it a frame of meaning instead of, this is just so hard, when's it going to end? You can put some meaning around it, knowing that this is hard, but we're working towards an outcome that requires us to move through this hard part. And that was a theme in your book, really learning how to embrace discomfort.
1: Comfortable being uncomfortable. and. That is right, and sometimes that'll be situational, and it'll be a you'll be needing to move through that. Sometimes it'll be a bland, uncomfortable, and I it is just so important and understanding that that's part of leadership, that's part of life and not to run from that, to actually sit there and embrace what that's feeling like and recognize it for what it is, because sometimes you need to sit with it longer than what you would like to, but two minutes may not be enough when 10 is actually what's required. I use that get comfortable with being uncomfortable, also in the context of thinking about high performance environment, but also how we get the very most out of ourselves at our schools, and our families and the organizations that we work in, because if you're not thinking about that, if you're not planning, if there's not some sort of push, if there's not some sort of KPI, you know, that we've got over ourselves and our lives and where we want to go, and that's okay. For some people, they're happy to be, and I'm not critical of that, and I absolutely see the value in that. What I'm encouraging people to do in the playbook is to think about What they actually want for themselves. Because I don't know a single person who doesn't want more than what they have now. And that's not material. You know, that is a better relationship with their partner, a better family environment, kids who are going to be healthy and functioning. It might be, you know, I want to get to Paris for my 60th birthday sort of stuff. Everyone wants more than what they've got today. So this planning process, this sitting with it, the thinking about it, the understanding it, that's the thing that's going to actually get you there rather than hoping when you look back in the revision mirror that you actually will have arrived at that destination.
0: Oh, Diana, you've given us so much to think about. To wrap up this beautiful conversation, I would love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? I sure am. I am inspired by. People who serve. When life
1: feels hard. I sit for a while and I give thanks for the fact that I'm here and I'm able to make a difference. An underrated skill is? Kindness. And I am looking forward to? The Cats game tonight and I'm looking forward to getting some feedback from your audience if possible on this
0: podcast, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to life and what's ahead. Diana, thank you for having the courage to stick at it and do the hard yards and show up in your beautiful blue suits because it gives us the courage to do the same. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for being an incredible role model and thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Meg. It's been an absolute pleasure for me to have this in-depth conversation and very valuable conversation with you today and I wish your beautiful teachers and your educators all the very best and thank them for their time too.
0: impressive is Diana and I love her invitation to get clear on what success looks like for you and to not be afraid of doing the hard yards. Diana's book, The Playbook, Crossing the White Line to Succeed in Life, Business and the AFL is now available online and would be the perfect gift for your leadership team. To learn more about Diana and the high impact work she does, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated most with you. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 91. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.